Hiker Nation, do I have a treat for you today. In fact, after listening to the podcast, I realize I'm quite a fan myself. Today I talked to Andrew Skirka, who's most notably known for his long-distance trips he did back in the late 2000s. Those included the Alaska-Yukon Expedition, 4,700 miles, the Great Western Loop, which totaled 6,875 miles, and the C2C route from Quebec, Canada to the state of Washington, covering over 7,700-plus miles. For these trips, Andrew was named Adventure of the Year by both Outside and National Geographic, as well as Person of the Year by Backpacker. On the podcast today, I talked to him about those trips, the idea of getting into long-distance hiking, as well as common you know, recommendations and expertise as it pertains to gear choices for beginning hikers. With that being said, let's hop into the podcast and talk to Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Riley. Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know we've been in communication for the past few weeks, so... Glad to have you uh, on your your bachelor night, I hear. <laughs> yeah, the the rare the rare bachelor night. It's me and the kitty cat, um, kind of settling in for the evening. Perfect. Well, we have it built in that if you're listening to the podcast and you hear the cat, that that just might be part of the podcast. So that's that's totally fine on my part. He is a he is an adorable cat, but he does yeah. he does like to howl. All right, we'll see we'll see what we get out of him. But I I, I wanted to start off. I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit because I I did listen to you do some talks online. I read up on you, and uh, I always like to my, like to ask my guests kind of first question their origin story, how they got to be who they are. Um, but it sounds sounds like based off what I've heard, you know, you you were in the outdoors growing up, but it wasn't a major part of your your upbringing. Um, you you go to college to Duke. You're you're cross country runner, um, but at some point you you're confronted a decision that you 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 really love this hiking thing, um, but you're also confronted with this decision: do I do I go get a big big wig job either in policy or finance. So I kind of wanted to cheat and get to that point because I think that's fascinating of of you realize you have this love, but you also have this decision you need to make. So I'd love to just kind of start you there. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, uh, that that definitely is like a, inter- it's, it's an interesting point in my life. It's also very relatable for any young person. So um, yeah, so as you said, like I grew up pretty traditional, pretty, pretty traditional household, grew up in Southeastern Mass. Um, uh, just far from the outdoors. So loved it, but just far from it. Um, right. Get to school and sort of get to college. Um, and kind of, yeah, kind of need to make that decision about what I'm going to do with the rest of my life, <laughs> which is crazy. Right. Um, and I had these, yeah, these competing interests. On one hand, I was at this very prestigious school. My parents were paying a lot of money for me to be there. A lot of cl- my classmates would, you know, were going on and, and have gone on to do like f- phenomenal things. Um, so I was like, had that. Um, but then on the other hand, I was like, wow, I really like to spend time in the outdoors. I really like to hike. And I'm also uh, like 20 years old. Why do I need to be an adult so soon? So um, the most corrupting experience in my life so far um, and and by far was uh, working two summers out. Uh, I was an adventure camp out in Western North Carolina. And mm-hmm. there were two things that happened at that camp. So the first thing was that every single day I was just outside. I was like, 
trail running in the morning before the kids got up and then we'd go like caving and rock climbing and mountain biking and <laughs> and like just it was just fun it was just a blast um and i loved every minute of it um so there was that part but then the other issue is that i was hanging out with a bunch of like kind of alternative lifestyle type camp counselors um like i remember like this one influential couple that i got to know pretty well they would they would just like drive around you know the country in their pickup truck and they'd work uh-huh. at camp for three months and then they'd go down to new mexico to some guy's apple farm and they'd pick apples for like a month and then they would yeah. like go to joshua tree and climb all winter long and then they like and it was and like they were having a blast doing it. And I was like, well, that's, that's different. Like my dad's just a banker. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, you know, ultimately it was a tough decision to make. I mean, it wasn't like a, just kind of one day I woke up and it's like, I'm going to be a hiker. Um, it was a slow thing where I, I think at the start it was, um, well, let me get this out of my system was kind of the original thinking. And then at some point it became like, well, like, you know, I'm actually, this is kind of like a sustainable lifestyle. Like, like I'm getting invitations from like Boy Scout troops to speak to their troop and they'll pay me like a hundred dollars. <laughs> right. And then, um, and you know, and now I'm 38 years old. So I've been doing this for, um, boy, like more than 15 years. And like, I'd say it's like a legitimate occupation at this point. Yeah. And I want to get into that a little bit later of kind of the, the trials and tribulations to making it a professional lifestyle. But, but in this journey, what makes you kind of most notable and and all the accolades come is you doing these really super long distance hikes. Yeah, all the and so I want sure. Yeah, I want to get to that point of you make that decision that's that's your kind of niche, yeah. that's your thing that you're gonna be known about. And was that was that planned or is that just something you were getting out of your system and you're like, ooh, I could I could make a name out of this or, no, or accolade. You can't I mean anyone who anyone who gets into long distance hiking for the prospect of fame or fortune is an idiot. Right. <laughs> so yeah. like you have to love it. Um, and yeah. you don't have to love it every day and you don't have to love every part of it, but like on the whole, you need to love it and you need to feel like that is like time well spent out on the trail, mm-hmm. exploring a wilderness, like a wilderness or a region or a, you know, a state or whatever it might be. Um, so no, I was uh, like, so I, yeah, after I graduated from college, I decided to do the C to C route. And um, then a year and a half. Later, and was that a was that an established route, or you you linked that of, up? It was a network of trails. Okay. Yeah. And um, then after that, I did the year and a half later. I did the Great Western Loop, um, and all these like the C to C. The C to C was a monster. It was like eleven months, seventy eight hundred miles. The Great Western Loop was uh, seven months, sixty eight hundred miles. Um, right. And then in 2010, that was like my really last big long distance trip. Uh, that was the Alaska Yukon Expedition. So that was. 4,700 miles in six months. And, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, a lot of the, like, definitely I like staked my name in my twenties. Um, but I think the, like the overarching thing that then, and still now is that, um, I, I get bored if I'm not learning new things and if I'm not Mm -hmm. being challenged. So, um, in my, like when I was doing those big hikes, like you could look at the progression and you could say yes, like it was it was a it was a big jump for me to go from the Appalachian Trail to the C to C route. It was another big jump to go from the C to C route to the Great Western Loop. Another big jump to go from the Great Western Loop to the Alaska Yukon Expedition. And there were a few little like trips in between, but like like you could say that, like each one was a big step. But it's the same thing now in my 30s, where um, 
you know, nowadays my challenges are like you know, running a business or um, like I took up like competitive running again. So there's always still like a something going on where I'm not bored. With those, with those three super long distance hikes, I, I, I mean, each of them almost deserves their own podcast and I'm sure you've given detailed speeches about each one of those, but it, at one point you had to make a decision like I want to do this. Like what, what inspired you to go ahead and start linking trails up to form something that nobody else has done? Um, but it wasn't like a particular moment. It was just like, um, I can do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, it was this recognition that I was, you know, whatever age I was 22, maybe 23. And it was like, I'm 23 years old. I have no career, no mortgage, um, no spouse, not even a house plant. Um, uh, I'm like, these trips aren't that expensive to do and I'm a good saver. Mm -hmm. Um, like I I can grow up later. I can like, there's, there's decades ahead of me where I can be an adult. So why don't I do this now? And you know, like, and I don't, people don't say it to me as often, but definitely when I was in my twenties, um, like people would come up to me all the time, at, like at the end of presentations, and they'd say always, like say something effective, like, "Boy, you you know, you're really smart to be doing what you're doing right now. I wish that when I was your age, I'd done that." Mm-hmm. And um, like, I didn't want to be that person, <laughs> regretting how I spent, you know, at least just a few years of my twenties. So, and even right. and even now, like you know, I'm 38. I own a home. I'm married. I got this cat. And even now I still feel, I'm like, I'm like, boy, like <laughs> there's still a lot of time left ahead so yeah, I could yeah. be an adult. I, do I need to be doing this right now? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you, I'm assuming you get questions about all three and which one was your favorite and they're each unique experiences in their own. Is there a synopsis for each three that kind of stands out or? Yeah, sure. I'll give you a synopsis. Okay. So, so the C to C route was my like coming of age. Um, like learning about my country mm-hmm. trip. Okay, so I walked from, I well, ironically, I started in Quebec, yeah, yeah. but yeah. then like quick, quickly got down into Maine, and then did all like hiked all across all of the northern states, mm-hmm. and ended up in Washington State. Right. So, but you know, like there were sections where I was following trails, and I was out in like wilderness areas. Um, although you don't really get into like bigger wilderness areas until you're like basically like western montana yeah west yeah um so like i would be walking like for days or weeks through like pretty like fairly developed areas so like even an area like eastern montana it's not it's pretty lightly inhabited Mm -hmm. but if you walk 30 miles a day you're gonna cross two or three houses right so um so i just really get to like see the country it was fantastic it was great it was really like um and most uh, people do that in a car, but you just said, I'm going to, I'm going to walk. Yeah. Well, it's funny when I started that trip, I wasn't expecting that it would be such like a cultural trip. Right. Um, I was, cause I was following trails. So I was expecting more like backcountry, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's just the nature of the, a lot of the countries that there just isn't a whole lot of public land. So even if you are following a trail, say right. like, you know, if you're walking around Ohio, yeah, you might be following like the Buckeye Trail, but this Buckeye Trail is like following an old towpath um, back from like this, you know, pre-railroad days. 
And this towpath goes through the downtown area of every little farming town exactly. in, this, in this part of the state. So um, so that was like the CDC route, very cultural, um, at least, you know, at least good chunks of it. Um, young coming of age story. Great Western Loop was uh, like a real athletic feat. It was, um, it was uh, narrowing in on a, like what I would argue are the, the, is the best part of the country in terms of its outdoor opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I really get to understand the American West, you know, just this, just this as like a, as a region and it's specifically it's mountain areas. Yeah. Um, and that was like, it just, so it was kind of a, like, and that like has informed, like now I live in this part of the country. So it's informed a lot of my, like my thoughts about sort of where I live and a lot of the infrastructure that's here and population growth and like, you know, development and, um, uh, so there's that part of it. And there was, there was also like the athletic part. Cause it was, I averaged 33 miles a day for 208 days, mm-hmm. which just like mind blowing amount of miles and vertical. And then the, the Alaska Yukon expedition was just sort of like the trip of all trips. Like I, I've, there aren't too many trips that I've heard of where I'm like, Oh, that, that might like one up the Alaska Yukon expedition. <laughs> right. Um, that was, that was like, yeah, 4,700 miles, six months, big loop. Um, starting and ending in Kotzebue up in the northwestern part of the state. And uh, it's just like full-on wilderness, uh, um, just of like a lot of off-trail travel. I think I did like 2,100 miles of off-trail travel on that trip. Yeah, I was going to say like that of, the, of all trips, you're you're designing that that route. The rest of them, you kind of yeah. linked up existing trails, but it seemed right. like you, the level of planning for that trip is insane. It was a crazy amount of planning, and but you know, but I was I was ready to put that together because of all the trips that I'd done prior. Mm-hmm. So I had like I had like I'd learn enough about planning trips in the past, and I would, could do it more proficiently now. But um, like I was like I could do that given where I was at the time. So that was, yeah, that was the Alaska Yukon expedition. And I don't think like, you know, I was at a, an interesting place in my life. So I did that trip when I was, I turned 29 when I was out there. Mm. And um, when I left, when I, when I, I felt like when I, when I left, I felt like I was like, I was getting tired of like being pretty nomadic, living out of plastic totes, mm-hmm. um, not having a lot of money to my name, just always feeling I was kind of like hustling for like making sure that I had some, like had some cash. Right. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to do go do this trip. Like, why not? Very, like I kind of got it all planned. And when you get back, just like either like maybe like this puts you over the edge and like you'll have like new opportunities or if it's just like not meant to be, if you're always going to be like a second rate, like second rate adventure, right. then um, just go get a normal job. Yeah. And then you can, and then you don't have to worry about trying to make this like work as a living. You could just go to work, get a good paycheck, um, and then tell your employer that you need three months to go do something. Right. And I'm definitely getting into that at the end of the podcast of just kind of how you've, you've positioned yourself from, from the hiker to now. Yeah. being employed in this industry. And there, there's one tangent in there that I wanted to call out that I found super interesting. And I often tell friends when they're visiting cities um, that that walking the city really lets you get immersed into the culture, into the offerings, into the people. Yeah, And then you, right. you just literally said, I walked the whole greater Western United States and it allowed me to be informed about policies around development 
you know, public lands, et cetera. And I was just like, wow, you just took that from a really micro scale to macro scale. And I don't, I don't know if you wanted to, to call anything specifically out there, but I just found that really interesting. No, I think that's a great point. Cause I like the, what you tell your friends when they visit is this is exactly how I feel. I mean, when I visit an area, I just, I love to go walk or I'll go for a run and I don't really feel like I connect with a place until I go, yeah, kind of walk those streets or like run around, kind of get a lay of the land. Um, I don't like, I don't like sort of just sticking in a car yeah, or yeah, a four bus or something. Feel. I need a little bit more intimacy. Yeah. And that's a great call out for anybody who, who hasn't spent a lot of time in the Western United States, hiking the parks and the national forests. Like it just, it kind of turns you. I don't know how to describe it. I, I spent the past eight years having great access to the Sierras. I grew up in the Rockies. Like you just spend enough time in there. It just kind of melts into your heart and um, it's just interesting to, to hear it kind of from your perspective of getting a, not only like a wilderness appreciation, but just kind of a grander, a grander scale. Oh, view like an, yeah, yeah. Like an entire scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like, I mean, uh, you know, a scale that would be, um, not on par, but like more in the more similar to like what, like a Wesley Powell might've experienced exactly. or someone, you know, just like to kind of see an entire region and like understand, like yeah the weather patterns and the drainages and yeah it's it was a cool trip you're known for being able to to pack light not not stupid light as you like to say but that alaska trip did not that could not have been a very light pack that you were carrying no not really yeah uh, yeah i mean there, there are two things going on there well actually more than two so one is that like alaska's pretty hard on gear right so all the the durability of all the gear had to be notched up mm-hmm. um second thing was that uh i had to carry a pack raft for a lot of that trip and that's like eight pounds of mm-hmm. boat paddle pfd um and then the third is just that the the hauls between resupplies was could be pretty significant um uh, it ended up being like so you know like i think my maximum pack weight probably was about 50 pounds because i was like two weeks food plus my summer kit with the raft so it's pretty heavy and how uh, how many days are you going in between resupplies normally? It ended up being so on that trip it was like a third, a third, a third, with um, the first third being like twice a week, middle third being about once a week, the final third being like every other week. Well, let's let's get into the gear before we do that. Uh, let's take a quick break. All right. We're back with Andrew. I wanted to get into gear choice. That's the second thing you're kind of most known for. Give it a lot of uh, speeches about is how to pack and how to choose gear wisely. Um, so, so beyond, you know, hiking these long distance trails, you're, you're backpacking light. Uh, I've read your, your base packs kind of six to eight pounds, sands, food, water, fuel, so t- tell me when you're picking gear through a trip, kind of what's important to you? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's all kind of important, right? I mean, I think, um, so the way I, I, I think the, actually the most thing is the process. So like the first thing I always tell people to do is to like go out and like, and understand the conditions that they will likely be getting themselves into. So understand the temp, like, you know, uh, daytime high and nighttime low temperatures, um, how much rain, what's the type of rain, how much sun exposure, water availability, insects, problematic wildlife, natural hazards like creek crossings. Um, so like understanding the conditions is really important. The other thing that's really important is understanding like 
what your trip objective is. So um, for someone like me on a solo trip, usually I'm like, I'm, my goal is to charge hard. <laughs> so right. um, I am trying to cover miles and do lots of vertical and uh, my pack weight is, or the, like the less weight I can carry the better. But there are other trips where I'll do, say like a guided trip with a more casual clientele or trips with my wife where I don't need to, to like pull every gram out of my pack because, you know, a two ounce, two and a half ounce pillow, air, like air inflated pillow, like it doesn't weigh that much. It's really comfortable mm-hmm. and it's not going to make or break me. So, um, you know, and there are other examples, like you can throw some of those luxuries in. So again, so, so identify your objectives, identify, uh, d- like um, determine the conditions, and then you can start looking at gear. Exactly. So it, it's funny that most, most hikers, when they go backpacking, they look to like the 10 essentials. That's, that's a good baseline to operate out of, but why don't you do a little bit more research and kind of understand objective and conditions? Yeah, because like even the 10 essentials for like, I've never seen a 10 essentials list where I couldn't take probably like two thirds of that list. Maybe not two thirds, but right. at least a third. I'll take a third of any 10 essentials list out there and I'll say, and I'll can like, describe to you a scenario where you know several of those items would be exactly. unnecessary yeah <laughs> so like for example uh if you backpack in the east in the summer you don't need sunglasses or sunscreen <laughs> yeah. you just don't yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> you're, um you're in the show yeah you're in like it's you know they call it the green yeah. tunnel for a reason so that's i mean your time, me and you are just kind of talking about your more advanced backpacker of, of specifically those who are looking to charge miles. And I think you just mentioned or alluded to those who just want a more casual pace um, and maybe just want to go out there and camp in the wilderness for a few days, that those, that gear choice looks different. It looks, to, yeah. It, and it doesn't look incredibly different, but, um, you know, there are enough, there are enough differences where um, I think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important to be talking about like someone's right. style, and so for example, like so, let me give you some specifics. Um, so a, a hard charging through hiker is going to probably use an alcohol right. stove. Um, a, a more casual backpacker probably going to use a canister stove, a little bit heavier, but you know it's faster. And they're you know if they decide to like stop in the middle of the day, make coffee, and maybe they have a hot breakfast, and then they make a hot dinner, like maybe it makes more sense in terms of fuel efficiency um, or uh, you know, when I when I go backpacking with my wife, um, I bring a a double wall three person <laughs> tent because um, because like it's why based. not? Again, yeah. it's not gonna it's not gonna break me. We've got nice livable space. She's comfortable. All like the bugs stay outside, and we know that no bear could ever rip through exactly. a double wall nylon tent. So um, so we're gold. Um, and you know, and there are other things too, like if you're going to be spending more time in camp, and especially like at this time of the year where the nights are getting really long, um, you like, you should probably like bring some insulated pants because standing around in 40 degree temperatures, it's not that great. Whereas like, you know, the through hikers who are still out in the trail right now, like they might still be hiking right now. So they're able to rely on body. Exactly. I want to shift on kind of gear decisions to the the beginner hiker. They're going to purchase their first fill in the blank, whether it's a tent, a sleeping bag. And we're sitting here talking about gear choice of taking, you know, a three season tent versus um, something in the summer versus winter. And and just how do you 
you must get questions from beginners about how to enter into this space and what gear they need to get. And I'm, I'm assuming you yeah. just say, get the most flexible, versatile gear, but they often probably don't know what that is. So I don't, I don't know if you, yeah. if you have recommendations. It's difficult. So, I mean, the, the, one of the things that are, the industry does poorly is that it says it describes like, like intro level gear and it's just like shit yeah. gear. Like it, like it's, you know, it's heavy. It doesn't work that well. Um, and I, I think what I, you know, my, my advice always to, to beginner backpackers, I always like, I bring them back to the process and say, all right, to tell me like, tell me where you're going to go, what time of year you're going to go. Um, and then tell me what kind of style you expect to, to have. And then you, then you map out like a whole gear list and you're like, this is what, so like, you know, maybe it doesn't happen all this season, but you know, over the next like two years, this is the gear that's going to work best for me. So you know, maybe you like you kind of pull together some things that you own already, and maybe you're not quite ready to pony, pony up you know, three hundred dollars for a nice mm-hmm. down sleeping bag. You know, you'll just go with like a synthetic for mm-hmm. now. Um, but just map it out, and that way, like like if you want to make backpacking really expensive, then buy the wrong thing like three or exactly. four times yep. before you find the right thing. Raising my hand right now. So, <laughs> Yeah. And like, and I've been there. I, you know, I did that when I was getting started. Um, but it's just, it's not as necessary. Like the information, (laughs) I don't know. It's just like this double-edged sword. So there's a ton of information out there nowadays Mm -hmm. about, about gear, um, which, so it's, and and the equipment is also much better today. So there are fewer ways that like people can go wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also like a paralysis of information. Like there's so much information and like, who do like, Who's the source? Where do they backpack? How do they backpack? So you kind of need to understand that too. And that's why, like, I don't know, I almost like a plug, like, um, so the my book, The Ultimate Hiker's Gear Guide, like the beauty of that book is that it's one voice, it's a in a like a thorough, it's a thorough body of information. And it's um, you know, it's it's much more efficient than like trying to like find piecemeal blog posts about different reviews and whatnot. Um, it just you, like when you're getting into something, when you're just getting into something, like go find that like definitive text that sort of gives mm-hmm. you like a holistic view of, of the activity. Like I did that when I was getting in hunting where like, I kind of like found a couple of good books that like really kind of cover the topic broadly. And then you can, when I like go read, like when I dig a little bit deeper, especially in the online material, in the online world, like I've got more context. I echo that. I, I do a lot of research now when I'm making a gear decision because I know it's going to have a long-term consequence is the wrong word, but a, a time span. I'm making a choice that's going to last more than than the next backpacking trip. Uh, the, the other thing that I'd add is most recently when I've bought a new pair of boots or a, a new sleeping bag, like go go actually spend time in it. So when I bought my last sleeping bag, I, I felt like I laid on the floor for like 10 minutes and then like moved around in it and saw how my legs would kind of flow about and make sure that I enjoyed kind of that fit because I knew it had the yeah. right specs, but it just like, did I actually enjoy That's it? So true. I, I, that you're like, you're spot on with that. I just, um, it, you know, we just shop online nowadays. Yeah, it's like very like, and you can like drive yourself crazy looking at specs online. Mm-hmm. And but you're not like you're not working with that piece of gear. Like you're not putting on the backpack. You're not climbing into that shelter to see like how it you know or like setting it up. Um, you're not yeah like putting on those shoes. It's like 
whenever whenever I've bought something in person, so like last year I bought a new pair of binoculars mm-hmm. for hunting, and it was like I went into Cabela's. Because I just kind of had this feeling like that if I like looked online for a while, I was just going to drive myself nuts. Right. So I went to Cabela's, and I'm like, I'm like this is about how much I can spend. Like this is where I'm going hunting. And the guy like, like, like takes five pairs of binoculars, says try these, and like, and like within like five minutes, I'm like, I want those. Yeah. Because it was like so obvious when I put those in my hand, when I put them up to my eyes. Like and like, those are the ones I wanted. Yeah, I think I think if you have some sort of knowledge of specs going in, just going and spending some time is is my best recommendation. Um, and and as you mentioned, as long as you're looking at gear reviews from the most recent years, you, you're already winning based off like buying from 2014. Say, all right, my my last question for you. I mean. We kind of followed your journey along, uh, becoming an expert in, in long distance hiking and gear guide or, and, and writing, uh, the ultimate hikers gear guide. Now you're immersed in the industry. You're a guide, you're a speaker, you're a writer. I'm just curious, like how that process has been in terms of you, um, you know, making a professional living out of it. Is there been ups and downs? Um, is any of the fun been taken out of it or is this, is this where you ultimately needed to land? Oh, um, well, it's definitely more fun than probably most nine to fives. Right. <laughs> um, it can definitely feel like work. Um, you know, I definitely, there's times of the year where I work really hard. Um, but you know, I, I, nowadays my, like my bread and butter, the thing I do most often is, um, guide trips. So I'm at this point, I'm, I'm still guiding. Mm, actually this year I've got like a third of the trips, but yeah, two thirds of the trips kind of went out without me. Okay. Um, they're they're at the start they're at the finish maybe out in the field with another group at the same time but um and that's like a dream job you know where um imagine like this is the way i tell people this is the way i talk about it so imagine like um going to work and your office is somewhere like yosemite or gates of the arctic national park or rocky mountain national park so that's your office and you're the people who you're going to be working with for three five or seven days they're excited to be there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like beat that. Yeah. You know, that is just pretty rare to have. Like, I mean, people are thrilled. Like, this is like that one of the highlights of their year. And like, and this is your, this is like your work. So, um, that's pretty so, good. So it sounds like the guide is, is kind of the, the larger lift of the, of the three, the speaking and the writing. Yeah. The, so, in fact, I've actually like backed way okay. off on the speaking because um, like the speaking is the opposite where it's like it's trains, planes and automobiles. And it's like, you know, you roll in, I roll in. It's like, you know, maybe two and a half, three hours from start to finish, like set up, break, you know, talk, lead, you know, break down. And then I'm like, then I'm gone. And it's very sort of, it's much more transactional. Yeah. It's not nearly as deep. Um, so I've kind of backed way off on that. Just decide like, just when I look at the year, I say like, okay, so I can like, I can spend about whatever the number is, like say 50 or 60 days a year away from my wife, like without it being like kind of stupidly difficult um, without like creating like some real marital issues. Um, So how am I going to spend those days away? Am I going to spend those days away like speaking or am I going to spend those days guiding? I'd much rather do the guiding. And then the writing, the writing is still pretty significant. And there's a lot of synergy between the writing and the guiding. Like when I ask um, applicants for the guiding program, how they first heard about the trips or how they first heard about me, a lot of it will, you know, will be like, oh, I 
I was searching for like, you know, uh, beer canisters and your website came mm-hmm. up or I heard you on a podcast or so there's a lot of synergy between nice. the two. And they can go to your website to find out more info on this, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. All the, all the info about the trips. Is cool. And that's andrewskirka.com. That's right. Cool. Um, what's, what's next for you? Any big hikes or yeah. you, I know you've, you've, you're not doing the, you know, multi thousand hikes anymore, but you're, you're linking together some smaller kind of hundred mile. Hikes. Yeah. So that was, that's been the big focus for the last couple of years. Um, my, I, I'm, I, my life is not conventional, but it's more conventional than it was. And that, you know, like it's like a highlight for me of the summer is like, if I can get out for like a week and a half or two weeks, it's like, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the big, the big trip of the summer. So, um, what can I do in that time frame? Well, I can't go and walk around Alaska, but what I've been focusing on is trying to like find really, um, like, like shorter routes, a lot of, with a lot of off trail travel through like the best wilderness areas and just try to keep, like make a trip. That's like all awesome all the time mm-hmm. and not have mm-hmm. any like bad sections. And that's the the Yosemite High Route was yep. that's that was the recent yep, one, Yosemite right? Yosemite High Route, the Kings yep. Canyon High Basin Route, the Wind River High Route, the Fifth Traverse. Yeah, yeah, all these been good projects, and these are fun too. Like, because yeah, like I love getting to know an area really thoroughly. So in the process of coming up with those guides or those routes, like I'm going out to these places like multiple times. I'm hiking hiking these sections like forwards forwards backwards i'm trying like two different alternates and then then i can like during the winter time put together try to put together a guidebook for them awesome well you're you're based in the rockies right in boulder colorado yeah do you have a a recommendation if anybody's visiting your territory of the 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 day hike or the you know weekend backpacking trip that they got to do you know on the front range uh the front range, like the Indian Peaks Wilderness, is, is kind of my favorite. It's right in my backyard. Um, I'd highly recommend the west side of it, out of Grand Lake. Um, and then, uh, I mean, elsewhere in Colorado, like, I mean, the Colorado's got so many good options. Like, the, you could go to the Gore Range, uh, which is just outside of, like, Frisco and Silverthorn. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, like, the probably the, the, like, the most majestic part of Colorado is down in the San Juans. But that's a big haul for me. Like that's about six right. hours, six hours from here. At that point, I'll just like jump in the car and go up to the Wind River Range in Wyoming, which is exactly arguably which is, arguably better. But it's um, yeah, yeah, equally epic. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time today. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope the listeners got a little bit of a uh, an interest in the long distance hiking, the gear guide. They can visit your website if they want to learn more. Maybe go on a guided trip with you. And I, I hope to hear back when they do. Awesome, Riley. Thanks for thanks cool. for having me tonight. Yep. Thanks, Andrew.